We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All systems are good. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van So good to see you, my friends. Welcome back to another one on Insight. I'm CVV, Chris Van Fleet. Thank you for being with us. And thank you for making Insight one of the top wrestling podcasts in the world. I'm always really grateful. You know that about me. I end every episode asking, what's the three things that you're grateful for right now? And maybe it's because Thanksgiving's next week, but I'm feeling extra grateful for you and for how much the show has grown this year. I mean, think about this. By you listening to the show, you've allowed me to live out my dream, and you've also allowed so many other people who work on the show to live out their dreams as well. Look, it's amazing that I get to do this, that I get to have these conversations with these incredible guests on the show. But can I ask for a favor? I don't really ever ask for much, but I can't tell you how much you can change the course of this podcast and the course of the guests that we can get on the show just by doing one simple thing. You know what it is. That one simple thing is clicking the follow button. It helps the show more than I could ever explain. And the guests that we have here have continued to get better because of people like you who hit the follow button. And that brings us to today's episode. Man, (laughs) what a day in Tampa this was. In the morning that day. So I flew in the night before. That morning... When I got settled in Tampa, I interviewed Ric Flair. Then we drove to Clearwater Beach, interviewed Hulk Hogan, then went back to downtown Tampa, had a drink with Ric Flair and also Mike Chioda because he was meeting there, meeting me there for our interview. Then we did the interview with Mike Chioda, went back to where Ric Flair was across the street, had another drink, had some food. What a day. (laughs) What a day. And yes, that does link back to, it's because of people like you that follow the show, that have helped the show grow and get guests like that. Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, and the referee of our childhood all in one day. Think about the career that Mike Chioda had. He was in WWE for 35 years, and he was the third man in the ring for some of the biggest matches or moments in WWE history. Rock versus Hogan, Kurt Angle versus Shane McMahon and the glass that wouldn't break. Kurt Angle versus Brock Lesnar and that shooting star press gone wrong. Eddie Guerrero versus Chris Benoit. The list goes on and on and on and on. We touch on a bunch of those during this conversation. And Mike is just so good 
at telling stories. And by the way, if you've never heard Mike Kyoto talk before, his voice is going to blow you away. I told him, I'm like, you sound like a mobster. Like, you sound like you're going to put a hit out on my life <laughs> right now. I love that guy. You can find him on Twitter at MJC Kyoto. He's at Mike.Kyota on Instagram. And please take a screenshot, tag us, and we'll share it out as you share it out. And you can tag me. I'm at Chris Van Vliet. But man, what a good one. Please enjoy this conversation with Mike Kyoto. We got the woo energy out here. Woo energy. That's it. <laughs> I, just, I just had Ric Flair sitting in this exact spot earlier today. Wow, that's awesome. So I feel like it makes sense that we're, this is the drink we were, this is so funny. This is the drink we were talking about. Right. And I'm like, do you have one with you? Like, oh, I don't. Now we do. Now we do. Woo, woo. energy. Love it, man. We Yeah, I was just uh, talking, sitting down with Rick a little while ago at uh, the Pearl. So it was nice actually to catch up and see him since the last match I did with him. So, Do you keep in touch with a lot of wrestlers? Yeah, I do. I sure do. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, Ray Mysterio and so on and Jake Hager and so forth. So there's quite a few guys I still keep in touch with. We, I don't know sure. if we need to keep this here the entire time, but gotcha. we love Ric Flair. Yeah, we do. <laughs> and you can actually drink that if you want. No, it's all right. I'll put <laughs> One of the biggest things that came out of the last interview that we did, and again, thank you for your time on that oh, one. Oh, thanks it's for so having, good to sit yeah. down with you in person. Though. Yes, it is. It's finally great to meet you in person. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, Chris. One of the biggest things that came out of that is people were like, I've never heard Mike Kyoto's voice before. Wow, yeah. And they're like, he sounds like a New York mob boss. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not the first time I've gotten that. I've, you know, I get that. I started doing this podcast for Conrad Thompson on ad-free shows. Paul Bromwell, the host, and he's, he's coached me through all this stuff. And it's going on three years now. Yeah. And, you know, it's our show's doing great on ad free and everything. We talk, you know, sports, wrestling, of course, sports, food, all the good places in the, in the countries and all the stuff that you, you tried, all the food in. Yeah. And uh, it's just gone so well. And I get so many, you know, like, uh, oh my God, are you, are you part of the mob boss? I mean, I was, oh, well, my, my father was kind of over, over there in Jersey. He was kind of. Okay. You know, paternal father was um my mom remarried when i was uh three but my paternal father used to sing for the duprees and he had a very deep voice like me but when he sang he you know he was he was all doo-wop and he was calling you know, it was joey van and the duprees and you know my real name is michael K joseph kinzano and then when that my sounds like a mob name for that, sure yeah kinzano that's sure you know it's uh it's almost like the sinzano wine but kinzano and um uh, you know and then my mom remarried and uh I took on my father's name, Kyoto, when I was about 13. So I feel like every time you're starting a sentence, I'm like, you're going to put a hit out on somebody no. or something like that. <laughs> Nothing like that. Because, I mean, the average wrestling fan has heard you say, what do you say? Or yeah. one, two, yeah. three. What do you say, Rock? <laughs> yeah. What do you say, Rock? But you that's really it, it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's pretty much it. And I, I, you know, I've only done maybe like a, an interview or here interview. It was after the Daniel Bryan and Brock Lesnar match. I, I believe it was in L.A., they said, oh, did we want to interview you for like, you know, 45 seconds to a minute? And I said, yeah, sure. I said, okay. And I said, that's weird. So they never interview me after a match. They never interview referees. Never. Yeah. And um, I said, okay. And then the next thing, they, the next day, they were like, oh, you got like 1.2 million views on, you know, social media period. And I'm like, okay, what, what's that mean for me? You know? Yeah. yeah. Like, they're like, oh my God, people are so interested in what you had to say, you know? And I'm like, well, why can't this be done all the time? And it wasn't done again. <laughs> <laughs> you came from the era when referees were like allowed to have a personality when referees had a name true 
And I, I feel like actually, like very recently, they referenced the name of a referee. Right. And it's been so long since WWE's done that that yeah. I was kind of caught off guard. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Because they would just often say the official. Right. Right. Uh, but you were able to have like a, a an actual brand. Uh, you were able to have a personality out of this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was it was great. They they said our names a lot, especially like you know Jim Ross and King Lawler and. Michael Cole years ago, you know, used to say our names a lot, um, which I thought it was cool, but it was just one day, I, I you know, it was one day, um, some years ago, uh, Vince had just heard somebody's name, you know, in Gorilla, and he heard this name, and he's like, well, that's not the talent's name. He was like, "Who, whose name is that? Oh, that's the referee. Well, stop, stop saying his damn name. He was like, he doesn't sell tickets, you know? Wow, that <laughs> and that's true. I mean, referees comp tickets. We don't sell tickets, Chris. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, if you had my comp list, I'm probably about 10,000 or 20,000 tickets comped in my career. <laughs> that's a lot of comp tickets. <laughs> who who would hit you up the most for tickets? Oh, man, it, friends, family, sure. everybody, you know? Well, it would have been Cousins me. coming out of the woodworks, and then this one's getting older. And, oh, they're into wrestling, and... But it was always great, you know, so. They would have been me if you were, you know, in yeah. WWE. I, I could have hooked you up in WrestleMania 18, oh. Sky Dome. <laughs> I was there. I, I was actually just talking to Hulk Hogan about that earlier wow. today. Yeah. It's my favorite match of all time. That's awesome. Yeah, it's one of my favorite too as well. It, is, I'm guessing that's your favorite that you've worked? Um, you know, there's so many. It, it's favorite in, in, a, in a certain way. I mean, it was just the way. I think that match, you know, everybody... A lot of guys like Chris Jericho, even he had the main event that night with Triple H, and he was saying all day that that match should be put on last. Should have. And um, a, a lot of people forget that was on third last, right? Because that was on women's. Yes, the three way match with the women's, and then it was Jericho Triple H, right? And the crowd was just, the energy was taken out, of course, after that match, and it was just it, you know, it, it's such an incredible match. Like you know, back then, did I know it was going to be one of the most memorable matches in my career, or in, you know? Rock's career and Hogan's career. No, we didn't probably realize that. Um, there was a lot of expectations of that match to be to come through. You know, it wasn't going to be some high jumping off the top rope technical wrestling match. It was just old school wrestling. Yeah, you know, push off, shove off, shoulder tackle, Hulk up. Um, it was just great, and they they executed that match just to the perfect tee. And in the beginning of that match, just from the entrances, and when Hogan hit that that when he came out of Gorilla. And I'm sitting in that ring. I'm standing in that ring, and I just got goosebumps, man. It's the way the crowd, the Toronto crowd, and Canada is such an awesome place to work. They respect wrestling so huge, you know. Yeah, they almost respect it almost at the same level as hockey. I think almost. It's <laughs> pretty close. It's pretty close. You know? I, I was telling Hogan this. Like I was going into that match fully intending to cheer for The Rock. The Rock's right. my guy. Right, right. And then Hogan's music hit, and I went, ah, I'm a Hulkamaniac. He came out in that NWO gear. <laughs> I popped huge. I mean, it was just, I marked out. I have to say, 2002, after being with the company 17 years at that point, I marked out, man, huge. Mm. Really marked out. If you want to get a better night's sleep and change your bedding less often, let me put you on to Miracle Maid's bed sheets. These are the softest and the best sheets that I've ever slept on. So they're inspired by NASA and Miracle Made uses silver infused fabrics to make temperature regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. And because these sheets are infused with silver, it prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So they stay cleaner and fresher up to three times longer 
than other sheets. So no more gross smelling sheets here. And these are soft. Like we're talking like five star hotel soft here without the five star prices. Give them a try for yourself and see what I'm talking about. Go to trymiracle.com slash CVV. They're already on sale right now, like 40% off. But if you use the promo code CVV at checkout, you'll get an additional 20% off and three free towels on top of that. So go to trymiracle.com slash CVV and use that promo code CVV. There's a great moment where everybody points to the stare down, right? At the start of that match. Yeah. You are such a consummate professional that you knew this was a big moment. Brock on the left, Hogan on the right. Stood off to the side. You stood off to the side. That's right. That's true. And I I, I think that that's such a a, a, a nuance. It's such a small thing that right. a lot of people don't pick up on. No, and it's, that's absolutely right, Chris. I mean, you know, very few spots where I'd have to get into the center, but, you know, that moment is on them. And that's that's the one thing, like, you know, you you don't want to, a referee shouldn't be in business for themselves. You have to focus that your talent's the draw, your talent's the thing. Now, if, if my scrawny ass got up in the middle and went, okay, I'm, you know, putting my face right there, you know, it's, it's, it's just not right for the referee. You know, it's, you got to give that moment. To be honest with you, too, I froze because I was just marking out on the stare down and marking out on the crowd reaction. You know? I mean, it makes sense for the referee to be in the middle in something like UFC, right. you know, where you are genuinely like trying to control That's correct. these yep. two fighters. Yep. But yeah, it was it was great though that you're you're such a profession professional that you allowed them to have that moment. Right. Oh, thank you, Chris. Yeah. And Hulk Hogan was telling me how he didn't know that the NWO was going to come out and beat him up after that. Right. Right. And it was you that told him, like, Here they come. Yeah. Stay in the they're ring. They're coming. Right. And his ribs were hurting. He was he was hurting a little bit. But to think about that, that's I mean, yeah. that's Hulk Hogan going from being a bad guy for the year, yeah, you know, however many years he was a bad guy with the NWO, right, to like about to turn face. And you're the one delivering the news to him. Yeah, delivering the news. It's like, because, you know, they didn't expect the crowd back in Gorilla. Yeah. Whether it was Pat Patterson, Michaels, Hayes, Vince, everybody, they didn't expect that reaction. Mm. You know, and I'm sure when they went through that whole reaction, it changed Hogan from heel to babyface again mm -hmm. into the yellow and red trunks and all that, yellow trunks and, you know, the, yep. and, um, and it was just, uh, they were probably going, oh, shit, we should have put that match on last. <laughs> oh, that, that may be the biggest misbooking in right. WWE or in WrestleMania history. Right. Just the right. idea of like, how is that not on last? Well, yeah, I know. Well, you, you don't know. So, I mean, you know, it was, and there was a title match. So, yeah, but you want a title match. But, yeah, like that wasn't even a title match. It was just icon against icon, you know. And, and I, I don't even know this, and I kind of feel embarrassed on knowing this. Did you work other matches that night at WrestleMania 18? No, I did not. So no. you worked the match. That match, yes. Wow. I stayed up. I was so pumped up. We stayed at the Sky Dome. I had this huge ass suite. Oh, like and I remember I couldn't sleep. I couldn't get to sleep till like five in the morning. I was just so wound up. Like, you know, and I was like, man, I started having a couple drinks in my room just trying to put myself to sleep. And I'm you like, stayed at the Intercontinental inside in Intercontinental. Of the, oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, it's Sky That's Dome. the one that when the Blue Jays play, you can like watch look it out. from the stadium. Yeah. I had a glass window and it looked right into the stadium. Oh, that's awesome. so cool. Yeah, it was, it was an experience, man. And um, just, you know, and just the parts that I had to do in that match, you know, it's just, of course, as a referee, you don't want to screw up any spots. 
And it's the one bump I had to take, you know, being on the outside with the chair. And then as Rock hits the ropes, I had to slide in and take the shoulder tackle, like, on point. Because, you know, and that's what I was stressed about the most. The most. Is making sure this bump looks really good. And it just, it's got to look like it just comes out of nowhere. Not, you know, not like it's pre-planned and everything. So, in the, in the spot, and the bump just worked out so perfectly. I remember Rock was just, you know, and, and Hogan was very happy about how the bump took place. Do you remember what the first big match was that you worked? You know, um, I want to say, I want to say, you know, one of my biggest matches I first worked was Razor Ramon and one, two, three kid at the oh, Manhattan wow. Center. You know, I was still green. You had a great mullet too. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I like to try and bring that back. Yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe in a throwback wrestling shirt or something. But, um, yeah, I mean, we're at the Manhattan Center, you know, from Jersey. I'm always setting up at Madison Square Garden, and we're always – now we got this Manhattan Center, and it's like, God, what a what a pain he ass that was getting the ring in every time. It took us like six hours just to take these parts up this little elevator and piece by piece with the ring. Wow. So and it's just – it was a great wrestling atmosphere. The New York crowd, unbelievable. Um, and Razor's got to do the job to one, two, three, kid, you know. So tax Pac at the time, one, two, three kid, of course. So, um, and I remember Razor pulling me over. He's like, Coyote, you got this match, right? And I'm like, yeah, Ray's, you know, and I'm like, he's like, bro, I know they, I know you got to, you know, watch your counts and stuff like that, but I want the quickest one, two, three count without really making it look obvious, but I want the quickest count brother. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, Ray's no problem. You know? You don't want to mess with Razor Ramon, Shawn Michaels, and that whole clique back then. You know, I'm like, no problem, Rays. So I'm just stressed. I'm like, all right, how do I make this like one, two, three, like quick, you know? So I did. I sped up my cadence on the count, that's for sure, you know, but and uh, it worked out perfect. But it was what a pop, what a reaction. Did you get to the arena that night and looked at the rundown and went, oh, what? But the kid is going to be Razor Are you sure? Right. Yeah, of course I did. And I was just, you know, and back in them days, dude. The boys didn't take, you know, if you were doing a job, it's not like they didn't like the one, two, three kid, but it's like, I got a job out to him, you know, like, or I got a job, you know, with trying to get the kid over, we're trying to do this and, you know, and Razor was a good sport about it, you know? So, I mean, you know, there was times I've seen in the locker room going, I'm not doing the effing job for him. Hell no. Oh, you've seen that? Oh, I've seen that many times back in the eighties and nineties and, wow, you know, a lot of guys took their... Whether they're making big money, but they took their character and their and their stuff with pride, man. It mm. Took it with pride. It was it was like days when you would you know like uh, you've seen it on interviews when somebody's called wrestling fake, they got slapped. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, so they took it with pride. We all took the business with pride. That match know? changed the course of Sean Waltman's life. Yes, uh, certainly of his career, but That's like correct. It, it put him on the map. Yes, and uh, I just think about the idea of like. Someone with his size, his stature, his age. I think he was 22 at the time. Yeah. To beat Razor in like two minutes. It was unbelievable. Yeah. It was unbelievable. What a pop. And I mean, it's just working. And I think the place maybe hold 15, 1800 people, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. But it was such a great wrestling atmosphere. It was like a little theater. So it was just great, man. So I think that was probably, I'd have to say, you know, one of my first big, and I was doing matches with Yokozuna, like squash matches and yeah. doing Sean and Marty Gennetti, the rockers, you know, and stuff like that. And But I, I probably got to say that was probably one of the most in the beginning of my career. Did you ever have someone pull you aside earlier in your career and they went, 
why'd you do that? Oh. And you're like, oh, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And this is what I talk about, like going into business for yourself as a referee. You couldn't play no ha-ha and shenanigans in there when you're in, you're in a ring. Um, and the guy that made me a, a, a referee was Chief J. Strombo. And he was tired of the New York commissions. And I was working in the business two years, 85 to 87. And Chief said, hey, uh, he called me Dynamite Kid. And he goes, come here, Dynamite. He goes, I want you to get a pair of black jeans, a blue shirt, and a bow tie. I said, I'm a referee, Chief. And he's like, uh, yep, you're a referee. You okay with that? I said, yeah. So I was setting up the ring and then, you know, I'd referee. So I started refereeing. And he goes, and your pal Joey will help you, Joey Morella. You know, and Joey, of course, helped me. He used to always help me just how to like respect the business and how you, you should shake everybody's hand and say hello when you come in and just, yeah, yeah. you know, and stuff. And just, you know, you don't walk around like your shit don't stink, you know, and he always helped me out on the outside, inside, of course, because I used to set the rings up for Gorilla Monsoon when I was younger. And uh, Victor Keown used to run the ring crew for Gorilla and me, Joey and Tony Chimmel and some guy, we always set the rings up. And this is when I was 15, 16 and like summer times in high school. Wow. So it was, it was really cool because I mean, I, I'd get like 50 bucks to take the ropes, 50 bucks to do the music, 50 bucks for the ring, 50 bucks for the timekeeping. And then I go sell programs because Joey was, you know, established referee at the point. So I, oh man, how programs are a dollar. How much am I going to make? So oh, 10 cents off the dollar. I'd sell 3000 programs. So 300 I, bucks, know, 300 bucks yeah. and plus the 200 with the crew stuff. I was making I had four cards by the time I was 17. Pretty good night. So was, and on top of that, you're working in pro wrestling. Pro wrestling. You know, I mean, working with guys like Andre the Giant, looking at him going, oh, my God, Big John Studd and Tony Gurria and Rick Martel. And, you know, there's so many guys on and on. It was just, you know, George the Animal Steel when I started refereeing. And he was still working at the time. And so it just, it's been an unbelievable career. I mean, so many guys. I mean, my first match was Barry Horowitz and Steve Lombardi. The Brooklyn Brawler, yeah. you know, so, and, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it was a phenomenal career. Do you ever think about what you would have done for a living if it wasn't pro wrestling? I was going to probably go back and play baseball. I was a hell of a baseball player. So, so uh, either instinct. pro wrestling referee or pro baseball player, yeah, that's what you're yeah, saying? Yeah. I wanted really to get into baseball. I feel like then, the odds of being a wrestling referee is probably better than playing in it sure baseball. was. I mean, I traveled <laughs> over 40, 50 different countries, a lot of countries over and over. What and position over. did you play? Shortstop. Okay. Yeah, I was a hell of a shortstop. I was a good pitcher, real good pitcher. I had a hell of an arm and a really good stick. So growing really up, stick. you know, just outside of New York, you wanted to play for the Yankees? No, no, I went to Phillies at the time. Phillies? But growing up, I was more of a Pirate fan. I always wanted to get, you know. How'd you become a Pirate well, fan? Well, when you lived in Jersey, in South Jersey, you had, you know, I had one side of the family was uh, my uncle and my grandfather were raising me as a Steeler fan and a, and a Pirate fan. And then I became a Penguin fan and uh, just a huge Steeler fan. And I had some of the other part of the family we were trying to, you know, Mets and Jets and Giants and and then the Terry Bradshaws. And I just stuck with the uh, the Steelers, you know. Wow. So and just became a huge Steeler fan when I was a kid. And that's when the Steelers were doing good in the 70s too, so. Hey, they did pretty good, uh, you know, not too long ago, yeah, you know, as well. Yep, yep. I, I'm just fascinated by the idea that like certain things happen in life that lead you down a certain path. Yeah. And like it, it's you starting off in wrestling and then getting, you know, another opportunity and another opportunity 
that leads to you to 31 years yeah. in the WWE. Well, 35 with WWE with Ref and made my debut on TV in 89. And and really what made that that lead to that path, Chris, was not to play baseball and go to wrestling. And because we only, you know, I was growing up with Joey Morella. My father, Kyoto, took a stroke. So in 1984, 83, 84. So, and I was like, uh, I got to go back to making some money to help the family. I had two younger sisters, my mom. and So uh, my mom was working and my dad, you know, he kept the family as whole. He passed in 2000, but he couldn't work anymore. Mm. So I had to step up and go make some more money right away. Mm. So when I asked Gorilla if I can come back and, and I was working in a machine shop at the time. Uh, I was a machinist because I learned machinery and, and welding and stuff in high school. So, and I was working for a machine shop called Selmar Manufacturing, building test missiles for the Navy. Harpoons, chamber missiles, and all that, tomahawks. And so I was making good money there, but I, I wanted to make that good money like I was making when I was 15, 16. Yeah. It got me four cars by the time I was 17. Do you remember what those four cars were? Yes, I do. My Let's first 71 Fastback Mach 1 Conversion 302 Boss, 78 Firebird Formula, 354 Barrel, 79 Z28, with a 350 and I had a uh, Datsun 280Z. I love that you could just <laughs> rattle that off oh, like yeah. that. Well, yeah, you know, when you're buying your own stuff and you're 17 years old, 16, buying your own cars. And you must have been the coolest kid in town. I was pretty cool. <laughs> I was the first one with a cell phone that was like this big Panasonic one when I was working for WWF at the time. Sure. Know? This big Panasonic phone in my Firebird formula. <laughs> And I was like, now you can't use my phone, man. It's $3 a minute. <laughs> man, the ref's showing up in a Firebird. Incredible. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it definitely was. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. You may have taken the greatest ref bump as all, of all time, mm. the one from Shane McMahon. Ooh, yeah, I love that bump. You were <laughs> running down the ramp yes. full speed. Yes. And out of nowhere. Here comes Shane bow. McMahon. Bam. And I told him to bring it in. Oh, he, bring, he brought it. Dude, he brought you it. flew like 
12 yeah. feet. I just missed I just missed the steps. You just missed the steps. Just missed a couple more, another foot or so, I would have been hit my head on the steps. It was Quite crazy how hard he hit you. The crowd went nuts, man. Yeah, because I thought you got really hurt. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was rocked. I'll tell you, he rocked my world, man. But I, you know, I always loved working with Shane McMahon. And Shane, right back at, you know, he always loved working with me. And so it was awesome. And he brought a, like a, a linebacker. And he, you know, he's always been a big boy. <laughs> he's always been a big boy. I think that when people think of Shane McMahon and you, it's Kurt Angle. Yeah. Shane McMahon. Oh, yeah. King of the Ring. Yeah. And that, I, I mean, that was already pretty bad for Shane, but I feel like it could have got much worse. It could have. You know, um, that that night, woof, I'll never forget. You know, I, I thought I may not have had a job coming back. Um, you know, during, there was a, several times during that match, you know, it, uh, Shane had a lot to prove. You know, he rocks this match out. He gets through it. You know, it puts him on the chart of sure. being a wrestler. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And he can hang with, with the toughest. And, you know, Kurt's not in the business that long at that point, really, too. But he, boy, he picked up the wrestling business, professional wrestling business quick. Yeah. And and one of the best, you know. And he's a tough son of a gun in that ring, man. I've done many matches with Kurt. Kurt don't let up, man. He just keeps going. He's like a machine. So, um, you know, Shane had a lot to prove. And... Getting to the, that spot where he goes through the glass, yeah. and it just, you know, he didn't go through the glass. I'm thinking, oh, we hit the wrong fucking panel, you know, because there were certain panels, and, and certain panels were breaking, certain panels weren't, you know. Yeah. So at one point, I'm thinking, no, this is the right panel, you know, the glass panel. And so he's not going to convince it all in the background going, tell him not to fucking throw him through the glass. Not no... No more, like, because, you know, after the first time. This is in your earpiece? In my earpiece. Yeah. Gorilla position. We're screaming. Everybody was screaming. And then all of a sudden you hear Vince just taking over, like, tell him not to help a kill. And I'm going, Kurt, don't put him through the fucking glass no more. Don't try it no more. Don't try it. I'm on his right side. He tries, and it doesn't work again. And I'm like, holy shit. And then finally, Kurt just wings him through the cloud. I'm like, oh, no. I guess Shane, Kurt says, like, Shane was like, we're doing it. I don't care. He, no, he didn't care. And, and I he, couldn't stop anything. Because that would have been disrespecting Shane. And Shane had a lot to prove. And I know Shane is, you know, Shane, he'll go through anything. He'll do anything. I mean, tough, tough guy, man. The look on Kurt's face when he throws him through <sighs> is just like, Oh God! I hope this works. Yeah, me too. Because I was just like in shock. And I, you know, I'd seen all this glass and Shane's head and slit, you know, slices and stuff. And I'm thinking, was that the fake glass that we were supposed to use, or is this real? You know, did they? Kurt said they ordered the wrong glass. That it was the they ordered the wrong glass. We found out, but I thought we were hitting the wrong panels. Yeah, you know, and the stunt guy back then, um, but. Yeah, so it was just scary. I mean, and Vince was just screaming. I remember, you know, checking back, and there was one part of the match where they come off the top rope, and they're setting it up to come off the top, the angle slam, and I'm holding this piece of wood. They're on a piece of, like, wood, like, small piece. Yes. And I seen it just coming off the corner of the rope, the corner of the board, just getting ready to fall, and I just sat there just trying to hold it at the best. I, I held it enough. Just where he got that bump. And I remember Linda coming up to me at the end of the night. And she goes, 
oh my God, my great match, great job. And thank you for holding that, that plywood up there on the ropes. And wow. I'm like, and she caught that little bit of, she was the only one who mentioned that. Only one, thank you very much for holding that piece you, of wood. Could you great imagine job. if in the middle of the angle slam, the plywood just fell? And they just come. Yeah, so, you know, it's the, and she she was the only, you know, she, she was very, very smart. I love Linda McMahon and always, it was a pleasure working with her and for her for all those years. You were there for some of the biggest moments in WWE history. Yeah. And while we're still talking about Kurt Angle, it was Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar. Yeah. You were there for that match. Yeah, in Seattle. That was that was an unbelievable match. And, you know, these guys have been going at it for a while. And I did a lot of their matches, you know, um, building up to that Seattle match at WrestleMania. And these these two guys, are, you got machine against machine. And you Kurt, know. I think, wrestling at that time with a broken neck. Broken neck. Brock's got injuries, too. So at the Kurt end of that, some, Kurt's going to go and get his neck fixed. Right. And he yeah. had a few uh, other injuries going on, I think, too, as well. Machine. You know? You're right. And I remember you know, when Brock went up for that shooting. Oof. Did you look at just the layout and you're like, you're looking at Brock. Mm -hmm. You're looking at how far out how Kurt's far, is. Right. Yes. Were you just like, well, I guess he's going to do it. Oh, yeah. He was going to do it. And like, and with, as athletic as Brock Lesnar is and was and is now still you know i i definitely thought he would make it and when i went up there and i'm telling me like acting like get it down get it down you know it's always gimmick to like get it down from the top rope yeah. you know like like it was an illegal move you know and i just said hit that fucking thing brock you know and i seen kurt because he was so far out and you know and kurt did the right thing because you know you, you just can't be in the middle of the ring when all eyes are on you now and imagine him just fishing, wobbling over to get in a, get in position to get closer. It'll look stupid. Of course. And when Brock fell a little bit short on that, it was like, oh my God. And then I just looked at Brock's eyes and they were kind of all blurry and stuff and, and everything. So I was just like, are you okay, brother? And he, man, he fought right through it and finished it off. Fell on his head. Like, fell right on his head. If that was weight, anybody else, that's a broken neck. Coming off that rope, and just seeing him coming off that and falling with all that weight, just yeah. as big as he was, you know, as big as he is, it was just um, unbelievable, you know. And he toughed through it, though, man. He got the match. He did. I think you were in the middle of Kurt Angle's best match, and it's Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit. Yeah. It's so, so good. Man, I, I blew up five times in that match. <laughs> <I blew laughs> You're up, the referee. And I was in good shape. <laughs> and I was younger. I was probably 30 mid thirties or whatever he was, you know, maybe late thirties. But, um, yeah, I was probably late thirties, 40, but I mean, I blew up like five times cause these guys were just none but brick shit houses, man. Just, you know, it's like him and Brock trying yeah. to pull them together. And those guys would always say like, Hey, I want you to get in there and really pull us apart, man. Don't, there's going to be no more, like, you know, one, two, oh, I'll break one, mm. two, three, four, I'll break. You know, mm. it was none of that. And they both explained that to me too. That's the same thing Brock and Kurt went through, too. And that's the way Kurt was with Benoit, and Benoit especially, too, as well. You know, if I had, you had to break them, you had to get in there, forcefully break them, and get around their waist and pull them out of the corner or pull them back. And I swear I blew up five times, got my wind back, <laughs> came back, blew up, got my wind back. And I was like, holy shit. And I remember, you know, Kurt went over. Yeah. And Benoit got this standing O. It was just amazing to see, you know, Benoit get that standing ovation there, man. It was just awesome.
One of my favorite things about you when I was a kid mm. watching WWE is you legitimately like look like you were getting mad at the wrestlers. Like right. if they were breaking the rules mm. or something, you would get in their face. Right. You would yell at them. Right. And I'm like, oh man, that's like passion right there. Yeah, it is passion. I mean, it was I was always into to my mat. I gave it 110% every time I went out. I used to always hit that mat really hard talking to the boys during the matches and, and the counts the one like even razor ramon said man you got the best false finishes ever because razor and sean and them guys taught me how to do that stuff it was like you know one two i mean just swipe it and you know, like they barely pick that shoulder up and get that. and when you can get a crowd just to stand off there when you see the front rows and all the floor seats and people just get up and and they thought that was the finish it's like damn i did my job you know what That's happens, what though, if you miss it by an eighth of a second? Man, um... Like, how do you time it out? You have to ask Rick Knox out about last night oh. on AEW. God bless. I feel bad I, for I him. I just don't know. I, yeah, I don't know what but happened. But you time it. What you do is you're talking to him. As you go down to count, as I go down to count, yeah. I've always said, you know, I've always told the guys to look at me and listen. You know, yeah. I always tell all the talent, especially new talent that I haven't worked with for, you know, ever, or if I never worked with the talent, or... And even, you know, just remember, just keep your eyes on these false finishes, these close false finishes coming towards the end. You know, let's, let's keep it close and I'll talk to you. You know, just just watch me and listen because, you know, the crowd's up. So if they can't hear me and they don't hear the one count, at least they're watching me, you know. And I always say, watch me. And I'd say, all right, here we go. One, two. And I'd be like, kick. You know. You would say that. I would say kick. Oh. You know? So that's, you know, it's very important to communicate. And, and, you know, people don't realize what you're saying and what you're doing in there because they never mic'd us so you couldn't hear us, you know. So um, it, it's just, it, you got to be on the same page because every referee counts as his cadence is different. Yeah. Every referee's cadence. And, you know, his false finishes, you got to keep a good cadence up one, two, and then whoosh, and just swipe that hand underneath it, you know, and just, you, you just can't go like the old school stop like, like that, you know, because... How do you do that? I mean, if you're really coming down on your counts hard, yeah. how do you just go? Yeah. Like, oh, you did you know, it there. Oh, yeah, I know. I did it there. <laughs> but no, I always like to swipe and, you know, and just, and then you realize, you know, when I was doing it, when my younger, in my career, and you see people getting off the seats and thought it was the finish. Okay. It's working. You know, you know, you're doing your job right. You know, you're not wearing a microphone, but you are wearing an earpiece. Right. So talk us through what you're hearing, what cues are you hearing during a typical match in your earpiece? Oh, you hear like, uh, okay, um, you know, like you'll be in a ring with one talent there. They'll tell you when to raise the title up, get the title, raise the title, the hard camera. So, you'll, you know, that's, that's an important shot there uh -huh. right before the match starts. Okay. Get ready to ring the bell. They'll give you a cue to ring the bell. Uh -huh. Sometimes the cue is on us. If there's certain talent wants us to ring the bell inside the ring. It'll be on us or, you know, certain matches. But usually uh, Kevin Dunn in the truck and all that would con control the bell and, and Vince and Gorilla and all that stuff. So. And then what other, like during the match, what are the cues you're Cues of time. You're going into commercial break. You got, you know, say you got 20 minutes left, 19, it counts down minute by minute, 18, 17. And, you know, I used to, I used to be so good at the time. And, you know, like when Briscoe, you had, we had Briscoe years ago doing Gorilla of course, Gorilla Monsoon at first, but uh, then Briscoe, many years, Bruce Pritchard, Billy Kidman. 
So, you know, they'd count you down minute by minute. But I was so good at times that boys were like, well, how much time we got left? And then right before I'd hear the cue, I'd be, we got 17. And then you'd hear it like five seconds later, 17 to go. Because it was just, it was coming natural to me. I didn't even, you know, I have no watch on. I'm not looking at a clock. Yeah. I could just feel a minute going by. I could feel two minutes going by. It was just, it came natural after experience. So give me an example of how you would communicate a time cue. So I'd go to the boy, and back then we we talk like Carney. We got fee is I, fee is or, three is E, two, T is U, we is on. Because if you were caught on camera by a mic or one of the cameras, you don't yeah. want to go, five minutes left. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you, yeah, you'd be like, T is N, ni is ein, you know, and, and you'd always like do it on a drive-by. You would never just sit there and go, you know, to the wrestler's face, nine minutes left. Yeah, you know? yeah. I would even pass on cues or spots, like as I'm, if I'm reprimanding one of the boys, I'm not really reprimanding them. I'm acting like I'm pointing at them, mean face, yeah. but I'm calling spots at that so time. So what would that look or like? Or time cues. So I'd, you know, I'd be like, I'm telling you right now, like, da, 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 but I'm actually giving cues or spots that the guys want me to translate. Wow. You know, transfer over to, you know, hey, this is next. Would you have to wait till they were in a rest spot? Or? Yeah. I mean, well, you, we'd wait till we're separated yeah. or I'm reprimanding them say, Say like, you know, I pull him off the ropes, he's choking him or this yeah, and that, yeah, you yeah. know, and then, you know, I'll check and all right, tell him to do this. All right, I'll back him up and then, you know, hey, this, that. And we, and we used to speak Carney a lot, you know, and you could tell when the generation of, of the guys, the talent coming in and the new kid, you know, they come in and I, I was still speaking Carney in the, you know, in the ring, the TVs. And I'd be like, you know, we got Tweezani, we got this, we got, <laughs> and be like, and, you know, Tweezani, Tweezani. Wow. I'm like, Kyoto, you never, you never gave me the cues. I'm like, what? I'm like, I was, I was telling you in Carney, like, Tia's and Nia's. Oh, is that what you were saying? You know? Oh, I, I don't speak Carney. Sorry. I'm like, oh, they don't teach you that in school. Thinking <laughs> PNC, the PC center. I'm thinking, okay. Who was a wrestler that was like, I don't care who I'm working. Kyoto's my referee. Man, it's, um, Unfortunately, I had, I had the, uh, the opportunity with a lot of talent that did that, which was awesome, you know, and, and, and it became like The Rock, you know, and, and Shawn Michaels and The Rockers, I remember, we used to do our marathon matches with uh, the Rougeau brothers and all that, and you know, and uh, used to work the Bulldogs and all that stuff. So, I mean, there, there was a lot of guys back in the day that used to want Kyoto as my referee, and, you know, The Rock did a lot. So that was awesome, you know. Yeah, we, I mean, we talked Rock Hogan, but mm -hmm. you also worked, it was the first Rock Austin match, right? Well, yeah, the first Rock in Philadelphia, yeah. Because they, they had three WrestleManias, right? Mm -hmm. And you, yep. you, was, was it the first, first one? First one, I just took a chair shot on that first one. I yeah. just took a chair no, shot. No, no, that was the most important. I was like, I started the match off, Earl came in and finished it. Yeah. And uh, I was, you know, South Jersey boy growing up, Philadelphia spectrum, all these comp tickets, of course, <laughs> going back to comp tickets. And I'm like, you know, I'm so like, oh, I'm going to take this chair shot. You know, Austin's like, all right, kid, you know, you can put your hand up. I'm like, nah, I'm not putting my hand up. I'm like, how am I, you know, as a referee, you always looked at it like all the boys do all this crazy stuff, chair shots and everything. Yeah. And you're supposed to go in and go, I'm going to put my hand up, <laughs> you know, like. So I was just like, man, you know, if it gashes me, splits me open, it it, it does, you know. It's, and that's what the guys, you know, sometimes you got to get things the hard way. That chair shot rang my bell for three days. I thought I heard a telephone ringing for like three days. I bet. My neck was sore for at least a week or so. Um, JR came back and goes, kid, getting a bonus for 2500 I was like, holy shit. I'm like, 
got ring crew pay. I got referee pay and I'm getting a bonus on top of this. I'm like, it's a hell of a night. I'll take another chair shot if you need me. What so, about passing the blade off? How often would you do that? Yeah, quite a few times. Um, Where would you keep it during the match? I'd keep it in my, uh, like, sometimes I had a, a wristband. I'd keep one in there and, and a backup in my pocket, my front pocket. And if not, you know, if I didn't wear it, I'd always have two, one in each pocket. So, like, you know, if you lost one, you have you have a backup. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would do that. And I remember, so funny, you know, you're so used to, like, okay, yeah, blade and blade and blade and everybody blades, you know. Raffle carried a blade, a backup. The boys would carry one too, but you always have to carry a backup. Yeah. Um, sometimes they would get the blade, do it, and it wouldn't be good enough, so you'd, you'd have to give them another one so we can get better juice, you know? They'd mm-hmm. take aspirins to bleed them, you know? Yeah, thin the blood so, out. Yeah, so thin the blood out. And um, I remember one time I was on vacation, and I came back to work. I took a week off. Came back to work. It was in Tampa, Florida. So it's Dave Batista and Chris Jericho. And Dave comes up to me and, you know, Dave's cool, calm, collective, as usual, you know, Batista. And he goes, hey, uh, Coyote, um, Gigi, I need you. I need you to uh, get the blade. But he pulls me off to the side and like in a real quiet place in the arena. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, cool. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no problem. So they had a meeting prior. So we, we go through this whole thing, the blade. I didn't even know there was a meeting prior to this, like a week or two before this. I was off. Mm. No more blading. Oh. So I didn't know this the whole time. So now they're in a steel cage. Chris and Chris and Batista are in a steel cage on it was TV, I think it was Raw or SmackDown, one or the other, maybe SmackDown. And so next thing you know, the match goes, you know, great. Everything's great. Da, 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 da. And then uh, that night we're flying overseas. The next morning we're going overseas. So I get a call from Chris Jericho that next morning. He goes, hey, Coyote. I was like, yeah, what's up, Chris? I said, he goes, yeah, I'm at the airport. He goes, um, do you hear the old man is hot? I'm like, who? He goes, what do you mean who? He goes, Vince. I'm like, Vince is hot at who? He goes, all of us. I'm like, why is Vince hot? He goes, well, you passed him the blade. I'm like, yeah, okay. And like, how how, how else was I supposed to do it? Do it myself? And he goes, no, I'm serious. The old man's hot. Oh, we're going to have a meeting in London when we get to the O2 arena or something. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? So I'm like, he goes, yeah. He goes, you know, it's all about that meeting. I'm like, what meeting? He goes, oh, I said, I was off last week. He goes, oh, you were off? So you don't even know about the blades? We're not supposed to be blade no more. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, nobody fucking told me that. Wow. So I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, all right. So then I see Dean Malenko. He was the agent. We see him at the airport because he was like, oh, we got fucking heat. I'm like. I'm like, wait a minute, how am I getting here? I wasn't even at the meeting. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I know. I'm like, all right, well, you know, I'll take one for the team going, you know, I'm thinking, okay, we're going to get reamed out, right? So we're in London. We get to the arena. We have to show up early. Johnny's, Lauren Ice is shoving us into this meeting. I got the, I got in Vince's room, the big screen TV. And we just, I'd went into HD TV cameras and all that stuff and everything. So Vince comes in, it's me, Dean, Batista, Jericho. 
and he's cutting a promo, huge promo. And he's fucking hot, Vince. And I'm just like, oh shit. He starts off with these fines, right? And he goes, he goes to Chris. I, I forgot what his, oh my God, $50,000? Wow. I think, and then he got to, then he got to Dean. And it was like $5,000. And I was like, oh, sweet. I'm like, all these guys make more money than me. I'm like, what am I get? Like a grand? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, screw. I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah. He gets to Batista, like a hundred grand. Then he gets, I'm pretty sure it was 50 or 100 grand for the boys. Yeah. And I know more for Batista. And, and he gets to me, he goes, and you, what do you got to say for yourself? And I'm like, oh. Because he had it on the videos on the screen on TV. Kevin Dunn circled my hand, circled the blade. He had it all circled out, me passing it. And I was just, I'm sorry, sir. I just, uh, I'm, I, obviously, I'm losing my touch. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Thought I was a lot slicker than that, you know? Put this HD shit picking up everything yeah, yeah. and he's got it all, you know? And I'm just like, I bought it. He's like, and you $5,000. And I'm like, oh, five grand. <laughs> So I'm like, this is brutal. I'm like, I'm working a Europe tour for free. So um, who comes to my locker room and gives me a check for five grand and makes me take it as Dave Batista. He wow. paid everybody's fines off. Wow. He paid everybody's fine. I mean, I love Dave Batista. Not only because he did that, because he was always a stand-up guy. What a fantastic so, story. Yeah, it was, it was cool. He paid my fine. And I was like, I don't want it, Dave. I'll burn one for the team. I don't care. I didn't know about it. but And if I did know about it, I still went with it. Dave is such a sweetheart in he general. Is. He really is. He is such a good guy. Doesn't he live not yeah, far from here? Doesn't, yeah, I'm, I'm hopefully waiting to run into him someday. I mean, you you're, you're gonna, we just ran into Rick, Rick Flair. Flair. You're yeah. going to run into John Cena who lives yep. around here. Yeah, yeah. Batista lives around here. Yep, yep. They, have, they all live around here. Man, running into you around here. <laughs> I don't live around here, but <laughs> we did run into each other. That's it. That's awesome. Yeah. I, 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 there's like Shawn Michaels, I think is a big one. You mentioned yes. him earlier. Yes. You worked Shawn yeah. Michaels in Austin. Yes, yes, that was huge. Um, unfortunately, I got to do that. Um, Earl Hebner had an aneurysm, and I remember them calling me. And you know, I had my matches planned out for that for that pay per view WrestleMania that time. And we were at the Boston Garden, another mecca, old school arena. Um, and uh, I got the call. You know, I was doing crew out there all week because I was doing the ring and stuff and setting up for manias. And I got the call and said, "You're going to be doing." Um, you know, Shawn Michaels and Stone Cold's match with Mike, you know, Tyson, the enforcer. And I was like, holy shit, you know, and thank God Earl was okay. Yeah. Had him stable, everything, but he could, obviously couldn't work that week. Do you remember and, meeting uh, Tyson for the first time? Man, met Mike Tyson, which I was a huge fan of Mike Tyson, right? And, you know, I remember there was a couple, there was one time we were watching his fights on pay-per-view. I'd go to the bathroom and miss the fucking knockout and go, <laughs> oh my God, I went for like two minutes and missed the fight, you know, but huge fan. So he comes through the arena. We're going to rehearsals one night. He comes in, comes in the backstage arena, comes in with you know some entourage and he goes, hey, Mike Kyoto. And I'm like, you know me? I'm like, he goes, man, I watch wrestling all the time. I love Megs. What's up? And I'm like, what's up, Mike? I'm like, I'm wow. a huge fan of yours. He's like, I'm a huge fan of yours. I'm like, you watch wrestling? He goes, love wrestling. I'm like, he's like, I watch it every week. I'm like, no shit. I'm like, Mike Tyson watches me. I'm like, wow. Mark, yeah, Mike was real cool, man. He yeah. was real fun to work with. You've you've had some of the best WrestleMania matches. Yeah. I mean, 
top to bottom. Yeah. Roxena. Yeah. yeah. Roxena. No, once in a lifetime. That didn't happen once. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, you know, and I know there was it would this is a funny little quick story. Like, you know, here's Cena like busting his ass for 10 years, you know, like running the company. Cause you know, you know, when I did the Rock and Hogan match, it was like Hogan passed it was like Andre passing the torch to Hogan. Yeah. Hogan passing the torch to Rock. Yeah. Well, Rock got the torch. He surely took off and left us and went to Hollywood. Yeah. Right. And so it was like, yeah, thanks, Rock. <laughs> you know? So, and he did great. And he's, uh, and I'm so proud of him, what he's accomplished in Hollywood now. So, you know, and coming up to that, you know, it was just, when you see the torches passed on, it was just amazing to work these matches with, you know, like Rock and then, and then Stone Cold getting the torch, pretty much his career started right after that WrestleMania, right? Yeah. So it was just, it was just unbelievable to be a part of that match. And, um, you know, like, uh, where was I getting at at that? It's the Rock Cena, and you said... Rock Cena, and going back to yeah, Rock Cena, it was, you know, Cena was busting his ass for 10 years on the company, working all the time, working hard. You know, Rock comes back in from Hollywood, and Rock's going over. Yeah. You know, and it, I could see the little damper in John, you know. He was a little, like, kind of, uh, you know, like, I'm carrying his company, and... You know, and, and Cena was busting his ass for 10 years. And he was a very generous guy, always overseas, paying everybody's hotel bar bills. Every, all the drinks were on Cena. Wow. You know, he'd always take care of the crew that worked hard for him. And, um, you know, then when Rock came in and he went over, Rock went over, I could see there was a little bit of, you know, a little dissension there, you know. And um, I, I felt bad, you know, I felt bad. Because it was like, and much as I love The Rock, I was thinking, man, this is, you know. So I remember then, then part two comes up, Rock, Cena, and um, and I didn't have that match. But Cena was going over. Mm. And The Rock comes up, he's like, Chi-Chi, because he always changed my nickname from Coyote to Chi-Chi. You know, all these years it was Coyote, and then he changed it to Chi-Chi. He's like, you got my match? I said, no, you're doing the job tonight, Rock. I'm not doing your match. <laughs> he goes, ah. Oh. He goes, that was good. That was good. I'm like, yeah. I don't want to count your shoulders. <laughs> WWE released footage like very recently of what was said between Rock and Cena after that first match. Right. And they like dubbed it with subtitles because there was a lot of like Talking. animosity yeah. leading up to that match, right? Like right. Cena was saying some yeah, very nice stiff, stiff stuff, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then after the match, they're in the ring, and Cena is saying, I, I, "I'm, I'm like, I did this because of you, because it's you." And like they shared this, like, really, I'll show you this afterwards. Moment, right. It's just a cool moment to see. Yeah, it was, it was. It was. It went on for a little bit too, right? It did, and you can tell Rock's looking at Cena, going, "What's like, this all about?" Right, because it was weird. Because I was wondering where Cena was going with. It. I didn't even know where Cena was going with. And then it. Rock's like, right. "I did this because of you." I believe in you. I believe in, you know, the company, yeah, the fans. Yeah, like, wow. Yeah. A moment. Yeah, it was a moment. That was a moment. You've been there in some scary moments too. And I think that Undertaker versus Goldberg. Right. Right. That could have been real scary. Yeah. I mean, you know, the travel was brutal, Chris. I mean, it was brutal. We get into uh, to Saudi Arabia. I remember we were, we got in the night before Everybody was on a total different time zone. Sometimes jet lag kicks in like the day later mm. when these long trips occur and stuff. And I remember it was, 
you know, we, we just didn't go to Saudi. We came off of TV and we did this, then we had to go to Saudi. Um, might've come off some live events probably that weekend into TV, then into Saudi. Um, so we got to Saudi Arabia and I remember like, you know, people weren't really getting to sleep. Like, you know, you didn't get in there at nine, 10 o'clock, go, okay, I'm getting ready to go right to sleep because you slept a lot on a plane. Yeah. Time zone's different. Um, I remember it was about 125 degrees. And I remember we went out to the, the malls didn't open till nine o'clock at night. And a lot of stuff didn't open oh, till nine. Colder Construct, it was just not even colder, but it was maybe about 100 or 90, you know, 95 yeah. degrees at night, 100. So it was just, you know, the sun went down and that's when people went to work, construction and stuff like that, their hottest time of the year. Um, so I remember we, you know, a lot of us didn't get good sleep. We get to the arena, we're there all day. He does take her and I was, I don't, I believe we went on at like midnight. Mm. And I remember going through the locker rooms at that, like, you know, nine, 10 o'clock, you know, show was going on. The show went for a while. Everybody's sleeping in the locker rooms, passed out because of jet lag. Everybody was tired, man. So I know we were exhausted totally going into midnight. Yeah. I was. Taker, I'm sure was. Yeah. But, you know, take, you know, and some people were always saying, like, you know, Goldberg came out of the dress room and was hitting his head on the on the thing, which I I was in the ring at the time. So and I didn't see, you know, they showed a little gash when he came out. But Goldberg was fine to me, because when he came in the ring, he called the whole match back to me. Mm. You know, when he got in the ring, because Taker had this you know, phenomenal entrance. It was awesome entrance. Of course, it takes like 10 minutes, which was, you know, that's one of the best entrances in wrestling, yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Um, so, I it mean, is the best. and he called, you know, and, and he goes, hey, let me call this back to you. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, and he just, he gave, he was running back spots to spots and it was cool. I wanted to hear it too. So I made sure I had everything, yeah. you know, straight. Nothing changed before the match. Yeah. So everything was good until he hit that turnbuckle in the post. You know, and then it just went on down from there, man. So Yeah, he couldn't get Undertaker up for the jackhammer. No, no. That mm -hmm. was... That was scary. Real scary. It was real scary, man. And, you know, if you if you watch that match back again, when Taker finished on the end of that match, he's just sitting up, looking around, pissed, and like just kind of looked upset, you know, like mm. frustrated. Because, you know, I know Taker got jammed up a little bit too, you know, so... Sure. He just, it almost like he went out of character right there. You know, it wasn't in his normal Undertaker mm. character. He just, he had a lot on his mind. He was just looking around. I'm just sitting on the outside of the ring going, oh shit, that man's pissed, <laughs> you know? But, you know, thank God everything worked out. You know, like everything we got through that night. And I remember trying to talk to Gorilla going, what do I do? You know, what do I do, man? Do I stop it? He's getting worse. He's getting worse. He's getting worse. Billy's like, stand by, Kyoto. I'm like, guys, let me know. He's just, he's getting worse because he didn't come off the rope. He was on the rope one time. He wouldn't come off it. I'm like, yo, you know, when I first asked him, he's like, I'm okay, I'm okay. But then he just started getting worse, you know, as it, you know, the concussion really kicked in. And um, I didn't hear anything from Gorilla at that point. I'm thinking, holy shit, like, I know they paid us a lot of money to be here. I know... They paid the talent, I think, a lot of money. I think Goldberg got a couple million. This one got this. I got my 200, you know. Uh, $200? $200. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, but, you know, but, you know, the, it was like, you know, they paid us a lot of money. Sure. I'm thinking 
got to finish this like the old school way, you know, and Ooh. we did finish it barely, you know, and dead man's leader of the ring, man. He's the, he's the godfather of business. So sure. anybody to be in there with, it would be taker. That's for sure. What's the scariest moment you've ever been in the ring for? Oof. You know, it's of course, you know, I don't want to hate to bring it up, but Owen Hart, you know, I was, I was sad at the end, you know, when I, I came running out and Jimmy Corderas was in there. Yeah. yeah I had Jimmy it's, on the show. He, yeah. He said like, I wouldn't just narrowly yeah. missed him. Yeah. Just, just basically just missed him. And I remember Bruce Pitch, I was at Gorilla and Bruce just jumped out of his seat and stood up and just went, wow. you know, get down there and see if Owen's all right. You know, mm. I got there. It was, you know, oof, it was, that's probably one of the worst. I think Draws was, you know, number Draws being yeah. in there in Long Island and seeing he was such a good dude. I love Draws. God bless him. And, um, yeah, it's just then probably when I got thrown over the top rope from center of the ring by Ahmed Johnson, <laughs> he was working a match with Triple H and he actually put me in a hospital in Tampa here. Oh, no, but it wasn't, you know, he was, he was blown up working a match with Triple H and big guy and he was supposed to throw me over the top rope and he kind of was like in the center and I'm going, holy shit, am I going now? And it, it was just like, he got a little closer and he tried to throw me, just got me over the top rope. I wound up twisting, falling, boom, hit, hit the end of the ring. Couldn't feel anything. I thought I was paralyzed for like, I had a stinger and it just kind of numbed me for, for a little while and everything came back. So it, I just, you know, my nerves and yeah. stuff, the stinger and stuff. So, and thank God everything came back. So well, I remember Triple H was a boy. I was like, I can't feel nothing trip. And Trip was like, we're, we're getting, we're getting you help right now. We're getting you help right now. You know, it's. That was one of the scariest moments of my career. Sure. As far as me taking a bump. I feel like you could still do this. I like, could. When we talked last time, yeah. we, I was shocked. Right. Fans were shocked. Like, how, how do you get rid of Mike Chioda? Right. Dude's a legend. When you think of referees, there's very few that come to mind, and you are certainly towards the top of that list. Wow, yeah. How, uh, how come you're not doing this anymore? I don't know. Like, you know, I'm not retired. I still got a few good years left in me you you've know? got many good yeah, years. you look feel, great yeah thank you man thank you bro i feel great i feel great and um you, you had a you short know, stint in aw yeah short stint in aw you know um so i was hoping to maybe get on that collision show but it didn't pan out so i mean you know it's it's it is what it is i'm just you know it's pro wrestling anything busy. could happen that's right you, you know could be it's thursday right now mm -hmm. you could be on the show this weekend right maybe it's just in michigan it's just a short flight away that's it everything's a short flight that's really. true really <laughs> yeah. it really is yeah so i mean you know um it's it, it's nice to be home and pay a mortgage and actually be in your house you know and, and live in your house you know yeah and I've been doing a lot of podcasts with Paul Bromwell and Ad Free and Paulie, you know, Paulie B's been really taking care of me on, on the podcast industry, you know, and I'm, I really enjoyed doing it for three years now. Yeah, you've got a great setup um, in your office, oh, too. thank you. I got a lot of memorabilia. It's, it's yeah. the only room that my wife will give me, you know, Meredith will only give me that room for wrestling. Oh, I've got one of those, too. I got one like, room. I got like 60 chairs in a garage. I only got so many chairs in the office, pay-per-view chairs, WrestleMania great. chairs. Yeah. And I got so much stuff in the closets. And she's like, you're not putting it in any other room. Just that room. <laughs> I can't blame her. <clears throat> yes. Who so wants to see wrestling stuff? Everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, but, um, yeah, it's, and I've been enjoying doing seminars and virtuals and stuff, you know, I'd, yeah, I'd love to, you know, if WWE ever called me to do a match or anything, you know, I'd love to go back 
And, you know, I, I feel like I didn't get to really finish my career out, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I did Ric Flair's last match, you know, about a year ago, a little over a year ago. And it was, it's awesome to see Rick again. And, and I really appreciated him calling me in to do that match. You know, yeah. it, was, it was phenomenal. So Rick hand selected you for that match. That's correct. Uh, yeah. That's great. So, um, it was awesome, man, you know, and love Ric Flair, man. So it was awesome to do that. And I'm keeping busy, you know? So, I mean, uh, not as busy as I, I really like to be, you know, yeah. but you know, like I got like virtuals coming up here and I got like a virtual, virtual signings, virtual signings are huge now. So, I mean, doing right. seminars and I do some matches. I, I pick and choose where I want to go work a match or two. Or I, fans miss you. Yeah, I miss them. Fans miss Thank seeing you, you in yeah. the ring. I miss, I miss them too, man. I miss the Mike Kyoto chant. The old bit. Mike you know? Kiyota. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like it's not, it's can't be over. Yeah. It I, I be. hope it's not. I hope it's not, you know, but, yeah, you know, you know, I got like I said, I got a few more good years. I really you've got many say. more. Yeah, good years, I mean, Mike. If, yeah, I mean, you know, hey, you know, if I could still do it and collect Social Security, <laughs> <laughs> it'd be great. But you know, I'd love to go back. You know, I'm so glad we got to sit down in person yeah. for this. There's nothing like sitting down. No, definitely. Not. We also just had a drink with Ric Flair before this. Is right, crazy. exactly, right. Uh, I end every conversation talking about gratitude. It's it's such a big part of my life. Right. What are three things, Mike, that you're grateful for right now? Man, you know, I'm grateful for the beautiful mom that I've had my sisters in my life. You know, um, I love them very much. Um, my wife, Meredith, and my good health. I love that. You know, I'm getting choked up now, too. <laughs> Mike, you are a legend. Thank you. And uh, grateful to be able to sit down with you. Yeah, right back at you. Thank you, man. Thank you, Chris, for everything. Appreciate you. Yeah, good seeing you. Let's go have a good cry now. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was so, so good. You can check out Mike on Mailbag Monday, which you can find on adfreeshows.com. Look, we touched on a lot of the biggest moments that he was in the ring for, but I feel like there's still another, I don't know, 50? (laughs) 150 more matches we could have talked about there. So maybe we'll save that for for round three. But my goodness, nothing is better than being able to do these interviews in person. And I'm doing whatever I can to make them all in person. And maybe this is something we'll save for the next Ask CVV episode, which is actually going to be this Friday, by the way. So if you have a question for the next Ask CVV, this is Ask CVV 13. Just send it over to me either on Twitter or Instagram using the hashtag AskCVV. But it, you know, it's 52 weeks a year, obviously. We have two new episodes per week. So that's 104 episodes a year. Throw some Ask CVVs in there. It's a lot. It's a lot of guests. So I'm trying to do whatever we can to do them all in person. So if you're going to Survivor Series in Chicago, I will see you there. We're going to try to bang out some interviews there. If you're going to Tampa for the Royal Rumble in the new year, I will see you there. We're going to try to do some interviews there. Yes, if you're going to WrestleMania, WrestleMania in Philly next year, I will see you there as well. So we're trying to be like, okay, where is the highest population of wrestlers? Maybe if it's not around an AEW or WWE event, maybe it's a convention. Maybe it's, I don't know. I mean, a lot of them live in Orlando. So I'll be in Orlando in the next few weeks. Who knows which interviews we might get there. (laughs) All of this is to say, you're awesome. And I appreciate you. A lot of you have been listening to the show since before it was even a podcast. I started my YouTube channel in 2011, and you've been here with me that whole time, 12, almost 13 years. The podcast started in 2019. A lot of you are day oneers. 
And here we are in episode number 532. So thank you. I told you, I told you at the start of the episode, I'm feeling extra grateful here. I will leave you with a quote from George Bernard Shaw. And I, it means so much to me how many people come up to me and go, I love those quotes. I write them down all the time. They really help to drive me or to motivate me. That's the best. And I actually sometimes spend more time looking for the quotes than even recording these episodes. So I think it says a lot about them. George Bernard Shaw said, life isn't about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. Be great and be grateful. We will see you on the next one for some more insight with my good friend, Tyler Breeze. So good.